0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Thank you, sir. He's here to say hello to you. Welcome on board for this Wednesday, 28th day of August. And uh, halfway through the week, talk to the boss. He said you have done such a remarkable job so far this week. We're going to make arrangements. I negotiated on your behalf. Let you have next Monday off. Isn't that great? (laughs) Well, we're going to keep you company, though, between now and then, and certainly throughout your ride home this Wednesday. Get a full program for you. Brian Johnson's going to join us tonight, hour number two. Give us an update as to exactly how and why Planned Parenthood decided to pull out of... Title Ten. It's, a, it's an interesting, if not revealing, story as to what the real agenda is. Also, later on, we're going to be joined by Dr. J. Allen Branch, who is a um, research fellow in Christian ethics for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll talk about this issue of gender dysphoria and how confusing it can be, particularly for children. All that, plus, of course, keep you on top of traffic reports every 10 minutes to get you home safe and sound on this Wednesday. Welcome to Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center. Our topic today addresses a largely preventative disease that currently affects more than 30 million Americans, in fact, some 10 percent of the U.S. population. As recent as in 2017, Americans spent, get this, $245 billion addressing it. It's diabetes. Now, the side effects of diabetes can run the gamut. This disease includes numbness, swelling, loss of circulation, leg discomfort, cramping, all under the larger banner of peripheral neuropathy. Joining me today in studio, Dr. John Duong, to talk about this and... Dr. Duong, adult-onset diabetes, as we know, represents some 90% of all diagnosed cases, much of it both preventable and treatable. But it sounds to me as if we're almost at epidemic proportions with such a growing percentage of the American population suffering from diabetes and its side effects.
2: Yes. Usually peripheral neuropathies are more like for like seniors, like especially the baby boomers. If you're around the baby boomers, most of Uh, The baby movements do have some of those peripheral neuropathy symptoms.
1: Now, sometimes we think, well, gee, I've just got a little leg cramping that's normal or maybe a little tingling in my feet. It's due to growing older, poor blood circulation, things of this sort. But give us a sense. When we talk about peripheral neuropathy, what are some of the warning signs or the symptoms
2: of it? Some of the symptoms are like numbness, burning feet pain, cramping, electrical pain, painful when you're walking, Leg discomfort usually at night, too. Tingling, numbness, loss of balance is very important, and also weakness and. Feet swelling. So if you're seeing large uh,
1: ankles, for example, or, or maybe in bed, you get sometimes people will refer to it as restless leg syndrome. Yes. Some of these are actually symptoms of the underlying cause of diabetes. Diabetes or peripheral neuropathy. Let's talk a bit about uh, some of the causes. You mentioned diabetes, but what else can be contributory toward a diagnosis of peripheral neuropathy?
2: The most common one is diabetic neuropathy. It's very well known. And also immune or autoimmune conditions, low back pain, like people have stenosis that's pressed on their nerve that can affect the neuropathy, injury to the nerve itself on the on the leg, alcohol abuse, and then also chemotherapy are some of the causes for peripheral neuropathy.
1: Can there be big misdiagnosis? For example, you mentioned about the connection with the numbness. I'm wondering if maybe sometimes that is misdiagnosed as um, just arthritis and a doctor's kind of dismissive and saying, well at your age arthritis is normal when in fact the autoimmune and there is a dynamic of arthritis that is very much autoimmune related, isn't there?
2: Yes. Is is the body that there if there's what's the cause of autoimmunity is inflammation. Inflammation is actually what's causing the nerve to be damaged. That's the definition of peripheral neuropathy is damage of the nerve so inflammation causing autoimmunity is the damage of the nerve so what we have to do we have to address the inflammation and we have to ask the question why is the body causing this inflammations within our system so that's my work One thing
1: I think that's troubling to a lot of people that are dealing with many of the symptoms that you've addressed, and that is this notion that if we understand what it is, if we have an understanding insofar as what is contributory toward it, why is it that so many people still suffer from neuropathy, or even worse for seniors, the loss of balance?
2: Yes, for seniors or baby boomers, the loss of balance is major, because number one, cause of death for seniors is what? Falling. Why did they fall? because of the nerve, the nerve is being damaged. So we need to find out and really seriously fixing the root cause of the problem. And unfortunately, if they get their doctors to uh, examine their pain, usually they come in with what? Oh, I have this tingling numbness, burning sensation, my feet is swelling. And the doctors will address what their discomfort and give them, them some anti-seizure medications to mask the problem not fixing the root cause of the problem. For example, I always give this diabetic neuropathy. What's the, what are the cause of the neuropathy is the diabetic? So what do we have to do? Are we just treating the nerve, or we have to do both, treating the blood sugar level and also taking care of the nerve. If we want to heal the body as it's a unit, we have to do both in order for us to get the results. Unfortunately, most of the patients are only receiving partial of their treatments, They're like masking the pain. That's why patients are not getting better. Some of the patients come into to me saying that their doctors actually said this, this to, to them, is that once you have neuropathy, you're not supposed to get better. You have to live with it. Take mm-hmm. this medication and mask the pain, and you have to live with it. And in reality, the body can heal itself from within. When you fix the body, the body can repair it. My approach is fixing chronic pain is fixing the body from within. So
1: it sounds like the real utter irony here is that if it's not at the onset misdiagnosed, it's typically mistreated. So a patient comes in, they're having certain complaints, they take a look at the blood sugar levels and say, oh, we're diagnosing you as being type two diabetic. Here's a prescription for metformin or here's some pain pills. And what we're really not doing is we're not treating the underlying cause, or as you've just suggested, we're sending patients home with a sense that it's absolutely hopeless, get used to it, you're always going to feel numbness, you're always going to be in pain, because that's just what happens.
2: Yes, that's the reality, but we can always do better when we using a different approach. Let's talk about
1: that different approach. What do you do differently than the typical physician that just goes in and says, here's a script, go take some pills?
2: The first question I always ask the patients is, that do we have a healthcare sys- system or a sick care system? So we understand that the sick care system is good for acute emergency. It really saves life because the model that we're using, what we so call a like healthcare system is the model for acute emergency crisis care. It really works and we really save lives. However, how do you fix the chronic conditions? We cannot use a acute model to fix the chronic conditions. How can we fix the chronic condition? We have to fix the body so the body can heal from within. I keep saying that, but that's the thing, that's the mindset that we have to change in order for us to be better and fix our health condition. Is to deal with the body so the body can function better and heals from within.
1: So it's really a holistic approach then where you're taking a look at lifestyle. Uh, diet, exercise, all of this?
2: Yes. You have to take a look at the complete pictures. And I make it very easy. If you look in uh, into my website, I keep saying that. I am Thomas Edison's doctors. Thomas Edison said that the doctors of the future will give no medicines but instruct his patient in the care of the human frame, human frame, okay, and in diet and the education of the cause and prevention of disease. And I am that type of doctor to help the patients to heal. So I use that as a model, and that's the model that I use to help the patient to understand and how they can heal from within. So fix the structures, the human frame, and diet. Not only the diet that we are dealing with, but also now we have scientific information, scientific testing, the genetic testing, would able to identify your DNA, your weakness from within. So now we are able to give your body the right supplement at the right time for the right conditions so the body can heal. So, for example, if your weakness is in the inflammation, your genetic DNA will are uh, able to identify. Your body has a weakness in controlling inflammation. So what can we do? Now we can give the body the right... Nutrients, the white right supplement, help the body to reduce inflammation. As a result, when you are able to reducing the inflammation, your body has a better chance to heal. That's the approach that we have to do. We have to understand the weakness of the body and supporting the body with the white right diet, which is the white right supplement, to heal from within. We have the technology. This, this is. Wonderful. To better
1: understand the exact way in which this new approach really makes a difference, let's give a listen to a testimony of one of your patients.
3: Hi, I've been coming to see Dr. Dong for a month now, and I have a bad diabetes that I have to take insulin, long-acting and short-acting, it's like five times a day, and also I have a bad neuropathy. Since I've been coming here, I feel a lot better. The tingling of my foot, all gone and my um, sugar level had gone down from 13 to 18 and now I'm just taking from 8 to 10 and all but the uh, low acting is still remains the same but I have been getting hypoglycemia so I need to call my doctor to adjust my insulin so I think I'm on the right path right now it's really going down
1: Uh, Dr. Duong, we just heard from one of your patients, clearly she has been frustrated. Having seen doctors for treatment for diabetes, neuropathy, and that the irony was that over a course of time there was no improvement whatsoever, finally she came and she saw you.
2: Yes, Uh, what we have to do is we have to help these patients with the diabetic, lowering down their blood sugar naturally, um, and then also addressing uh, her nerve discomfort. In this case, we have to do both. That's how we get the results for the patients.
1: And are these results, as we heard in that testimony a moment ago, typical for most of your patients?
2: This is very typical because I love to do what I do because I get the patients better. I'm enjoying every moment of it, like every day. I just love to go into my clinic and see patients that's smiling, and then they always are saying, hey, I'm getting better as a result of the treatments. So... I, I wrote it out, and um, this is one of my um, missions is, if you have any health condition, any physical pain, we believe the solution is inside your body. Together, we create a healing habits so that your body, your mind, and your soul can heal from within. What's the purpose? As a result, we live a better quality life. That's what we are put in earth for, live a better quality life.
1: If you've been suffering from diabetes and the side effects including peripheral neuropathy and you've simply been told by your physician, accept it, you've got no choice. Maybe it's time to take a different approach. Right now, Dr. Duong is offering a very special opportunity for the first eight callers who qualify to receive a consultation for just $47. Now, this is normally a $287 value, but for the first eight callers who qualify, this special consultation is just $47. To find out more, call 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. Or simply go to drduonglive.com. That's d-r-d-u-o-n-g-live.com. drduonglive.com. Or call 510-818-1668. And, Doctor, we mentioned about these first... Eight callers who will receive this uh, discounted consultation. Normally, at a two hundred eighty-seven dollar value, for just forty-seven dollars. In that consultation, tell us briefly what happens.
2: First, you fill out a detailed questionnaire. I ask questions so I can understand the patient's need. What are their symptoms? What are they? What's the main thing that is bothering them? And then, in in their history, then during the consultations, I will address those symptoms. What is the underlying? reasoning for the symptoms. We want to dissect uh, the symptoms and find out where is the problem coming from. And then if you have a blood work, bring your blood work um, with you. Um, so this way that we will able to identify where it, um, where is the problem coming from. And then I might uh, suggest you to do some tests or not. So it's based on um, our conversation, based on our consultation. We will s- see how we can move this forward. And then from
1: there, you come up with a treatment strategy to help the patient
2: begin to get on the road to healing. Yes. It's always the body. I'm not here to treat any conditions. I'm here to help to supporting the body so the body can heal from within.
1: For more information about this special opportunity, again, for the first eight callers who qualify, normally a $287 consultation value, just $47. Call now, 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. Or go online to drdwonglive.com. That's drdwanglive.com. This has been another edition of Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong. More information on the web at DrDwonglive.com.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. And welcome back 25 minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Well, it's been sort of fascinating if you've been watching the news lately pertaining to the recent GM G7 summit in, in Paris. And that, of course, sort of along with the usual cacophony of political news, the fires taking place in Brazil uh, Some of the up and down, the wild swings on Wall Street. My goodness, uh, you you look at almost every turn of every area, and if there isn't a sense of political or economic questioning or instability uh, to to outright violence, you can see in many ways in which it almost appears like the world is crying out. Um, and of course, we are a world in need of a savior. And as much as There is a lot of focusing on political solutions between Sacramento or Washington, D.C. At the end of the day, if we look at what's going on in the world in both the macro and the micro picture, um, it is, I think, for those that have an eye to see and an ear to hear, plain to uh, anyone that much of what is besetting us, are problems of a spiritual nature and spiritual problems require spiritual solutions at the end of the day it is singularly i think um, in the wheelhouse of believers to be before the throne of grace to be praying for our nation for its leaders um, leaders both at the political level that that provide governance for our nation leaders at the spiritual level uh, that provide shepherding for our church, uh, that God would, number one, um, hasten the return of his Son, number two, would quicken our hearts to the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mandate that we should go into all the world and spread that good news before a lost and dying world, and that we as the church um, predominantly not only have the responsibility for this, but in fact, at the end of the day... Judgment first and foremost, while certainly will be for all, judgment first and foremost begins in the house of the Lord. So how do we begin? We recognize that there's some important key spiritual challenges that our world as a whole and our nation in specific are facing. Where do we begin uh, to really beseech God to bring about revival to our nation? Well, the best place to do it uh, is to go back to the roots, And there are some incredible times and periods of revival that we've seen within our own nation that can serve perhaps as an example for us um, and, and in doing so also serve as an encouragement for us. There's a very special event that's going to be taking place on Saturday, August the 31st. We've talked a bit about this. Um, It really is an opportunity to, again, revisit some of these key places, these key events, these key revivals in the history of the church and pray, God, that he would send a fresh revival, a fresh movement of his Holy Spirit. This event, scheduled for August the 31st, is called simply redigging the wells of revival. It's a bi-coastal gathering to pray and fast for revival in our nation. And joining me today in studio from the Potter's Ministries, one of the uh, the driving forces uh, behind this uh, this event and this movement, Pastor Cyril Ryan. And Pastor, good to see you again.
3: Good to be here.
1: There's got to be a growing sense of not only excitement, but anticipation in your heart as we are just a few days away uh, from this event taking place again this Saturday by Coastal and a gathering of intercessors, Um, and I think at the end of the day, really people that just have a burden, that acknowledge and recognize that our nation is in trouble, and that we really have to pray that the Lord of the Harvest would bring forward the laborers to bring in that end times harvest, such as it is. Tell us a bit about the vision for this and the significance of the redigging of these wells of revival, if you call them.
3: Sure. Um, it was a very clear direction from the Lord uh, to go redig the wells of revival. And uh, if I can share a quick story, uh, this was October 20th, uh, 2018, when we finished our. Eighth uh, annual conference uh, for gathering intercessors to pray for America. It was in San Jose, and we were done with the conference. We had like 150 intercessors gathered. We prayed for the key things that the Lord put on our hearts. And that night, the Lord woke me up, um, must be two or three o'clock in the morning, and gave me the strategy for redigging the wells of revival in the nation. And the vision actually is to go back to the places of revival and redig dig those wells of revival. And if you really think about it, uh, it's easy to redig dig than go dig the well. And it is, I believe, a strategy from the Lord for America, very clearly. And in 2020, we are going to do actually 50 simultaneous prayer gatherings, one in each state insights of revival. This time, we really did not have the time to go all the 50 states, so the Lord put on our hearts to do two, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. In fact, Pastor Jamie Morgan just texted me today that she's so excited about hosting the East Coast, uh, Redigging the Wells of Revival, and she was sharing with me that there is a great expectation of revival and even as George Whitfield and all these nobles who helped dig those wells. You know, the Word of God calls the people who dug the wells as nobles in Numbers 21. And she was saying that it's going to be very strategic because now we are going to connect with the prayers of the saints of old who prayed and saw those revivals. And God used the simplest of the people like William Seymour. So there is great hope and expectation even for us as a small team of uh, intercessors and as a small ministry based in San Jose that the Lord has given us such a big vision. So we are expecting uh, a revival to break out. We are expecting a third great awakening to start on August 31st. So that is the anticipation uh, for me, for our team, and also for the East Coast uh, group.
1: It's interesting because if you look at some of these stories of revival historically, such as the Azusa Street revival, you mentioned uh, Whitfield, others, um, I, none of them started as an inkling of anything. It was simply oftentimes just a small group of believers mm-hmm. seeking to be obedient to the Lord, an evangelist or a pastor with a heart and a burden for proclaiming God's word and the willingness to go out and do so uh, unashamedly, mm-hmm. and that the, the small seeds of revival began being planted, and in doing so, it grew into a huge tree yes. that over time, um, as these laborers and evangelists and intercessors were faithful um, in sharing the Word in proclaiming the gospel, in being on their face before God, that God, therefore, gave the blessing, set forth the increase, and then these grew into massive revivals, yes. um, some of which continued to, to permeate and impact the church today. I mean, there are those alive today who are, in a sense, the, the, the spiritual sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters of many of those events. And so I think it's appropriate. Um, it 's also suggestive when we talk about revival, um, it suggests that there has to be something that was alive there once before who perhaps is now just a bit of a flicker, just a just a small uh, spark. Mm-hmm. But when the power of the Holy Spirit and intercessory prayer can breathe that spark into flame, then of course it can set the world on fire so essentially what you're doing is you're, you're, you're very much following the pattern of what's happened in the past, <coughs> pardon me, and being very much in tune with this notion that God wishes to revive yeah. what perhaps was, was uh, through, through time sort of set aside. You know, the Scripture exhorts us to, to, uh, to rediscover, to rekindle mm-hmm. the, the, the passion of our first salvation, And so I think that this is very appropriate in that sense and can be the launching off point um, for some tremendous things at a time and a crossroads and an intersection in American history that I think is not only critical for the future of our own nation, but critical too for the the future of America's role in reaching the world for Christ.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I think... As you were saying, Craig, everything starts small and many of the revivals if we study, it was just a small group, including Azusa revival. There were 12, uh, yeah, history says there were 8 to 12 people in the room April ninth, 1906 when William Seymour was uh, uh, leading a Bible study and uh, he was speaking on uh, Acts 2 and he had not received the Holy Spirit baptism yet, but he was teaching it and I recently uh, read a letter that he had written um, you know it was very interesting he said at 4 o'clock in the morning the presence of the Lord came through the window and I don't know how he really uh, wrote that but it was interesting for me that they were gathered together with a heart of expectation they had been given a revelation from the Lord about Acts 2 you know, nobody had really experienced uh, the uh, Holy Spirit baptism before that, except uh, maybe Charles Parham's group in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, and that happened uh, Jan 1st, 1901. That was the first time, I believe, in America, somebody experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And William Seymour being a student under Charles Perham in his Bible college in Houston. And, of course, those were Jim Crow uh um, racial segregation days, and he used to sit outside the class apparently to listen to the lectures. And anyway, I think I really appreciate William Seymour's heart, the heart of meekness, the heart of humility. And he came to Los Angeles for a, a job opportunity as a pastor. I shouldn't say job, as a mission as a pastor, and he was fired in a couple of weeks. And because of his doctrine. And then uh, the heart of desperation took over. He didn't even have a place to live. He was living with somebody, a janitor in a local bank, who was part of that particular church. Uh, It was the Holiness Movement Church. And he was desperate. He didn't have much. He just had God. And I think most of the revivals that have happened, Craig, is out of a heart of desperation. Well, you know?
1: look for example yeah. at, at, at one of the biggest events in the timeline of of Christendom, and that of course is the Reformation. We, yeah. we just marked the five hundredth anniversary, fifteen eighteen, last year. of The Reformation, and and what did it start with? It started with a guy, Martin Luther, who out of desperation said, "This just can't continue,"
3: yeah,
1: and wrote his ninety nine thesis. And nail it to the front door of the Wittenberg, the church at Wittenberg. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, ended up being the spark that turned into this wildfire that became the Reformation. So what oftentimes, I think, and more often than not, is out of small, humble beginnings, God is faithful as we are faithful. He yeah. gives forward the increase, least any man should boast. Absolutely. And in the end... He ends up doing tremendous things in the hearts of his people and amongst his people uh, that can really spell tremendous positive change for the future of the church, for the future of the nation.
3: Absolutely. In fact, uh, even before Martin Luther, there was a a person called John Huss, uh, I think 100 years before Mm -hmm. that, in Bohemia. And he read the scriptures and he saw the... Uh, the church not really aligning with the scripture. And he had a group of people he was discipling. And uh, later on, they were the ones who immigrated to Germany. And they were the Moravians. Um, And uh, that became the Moravian revival of 1727 with Count Zinzendorf really leading uh, this uh, as a catalyst, this revival as a catalyst. And recently I learned that Count Zinzendorf came to America uh, in, uh, I think it was 1736, and set up a mission in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I want to go and visit Bethlehem to see how they had this mission. And I think, as we know, the Moravian revival was the longest-lasting revival the world has ever seen, 100 years. And their strategy was 24 by 7 prayer. So in 17, uh, 30, uh 1727, They had recruited like 48, 24, uh, 24 men and 24 women who agreed to go to a particular place and pray one hour each day. And then it actually this prayer gathering lasted for 100 years without any break. Wow. And it was the greatest revival we have seen because they ended up sending missionaries to everywhere including America
1: when Paul said pray without ceasing they figured out a way (laughs) yes they did
3: it and actually it's not that hard I mean you think about it you you need 48 committed people you know and that was their strategy because we need to pray without ceasing if we cry out to the Lord desperately for revival God will send it he wants to send it but who who is asking the Lord to rend heavens and for His presence to come down? I think we need to really clearly understand what revival is. I think the term is used very loosely.
1: Oh yeah, and, so, you know, churches on yeah. Sunday, you'll say, "Oh, we have a uh, special evangelist that's going to come in and he's preaching a revival." Right. Uh, I, I think we have kind of a, a generic sense of what the term means, with little design towards what the real historical term means and and the real, shall we say, broad implications yeah. of what true revival is yeah. for the church and for the nation?
3: Absolutely. I think we need to understand that revival cannot be brought about in a conference room with a strategy session. And I think we might be, I suspect, Craig, we might be wasting a lot of time Uh, And I'm I'm probably going to be uh, (laughs) criticized for the statement, but we might be, as a church, wasting a lot of time doing just that.
1: So uh, what you're suggesting is not a meeting but a movement.
3: Yes. It has to be – it cannot be human strategy to bring revival. It has to be God's presence that brings revival. And I think if we understand that, we will know, and studying all these different revivals, we – clearly see that prayer has been the key.
1: That's the catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. Every time, whether you're talking about, we talked about the Reformation, you talk about First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the catalyst has always been tremendous dedication toward prayer and moving the hand of God.
3: That's exactly what we have learned uh, by God's grace uh, through uh, the scripture, through understanding the history of the church and we want to really cut out the fat, if you will, and go back to the roots of what brings revival. And And the best example Craig, and I spoke about this last Sunday, uh, is the 1857 layman's revival. And uh, this was Jeremiah Lanphier, uh in New York City. You know, 1857 uh, still days of slavery uh, there was moral decay, of course eighteen forty nine gold rush and uh, but but then within two weeks of this revival starting, the uh, stock market crashed. so there were a lot of things going on. banks were failing, but there was desperation around thirty thousand people, I think it was they were they were unemployed in New York, and it was desperate. See again, these are the same keywords you end up learning when you look at a revival and long story short. Uh, Jeremiah Lanfear is hired by this Dutch Reformed church in uh, Fulton Street in Manhattan to be the urban missionary. And apparently because people were moving out, they didn't have jobs, even churches were moving out. But this church decided to stay and said, we want to evangelize. So they hired this guy and he started distributing tracts, but the response was very poor. So he was desperate. And he asked the Lord, Lord, what should I do? You know, when you come to that moment where you know that it's not your uh, strategy or your effort that's going to bring revival. And then, long story short, the Lord spoke to him to start a prayer group, a noontime prayer. This was September 23rd, uh, 1857. You know, he... On his own um, uh, dollar, he printed 20,000 uh, flyers uh, for this uh, noontime prayer gathering that the Lord had put on his heart. Distributed 20,000 flyers. And on September 23rd, was waiting at this church, and nobody shows up. Uh, at 12 <laughs> noon, you know. and <laughs> Unless the Lord build a house, he build it. <laughs> but, <laughs> labors person <and fame. laughs> pain Exactly. And he's discouraged, obviously. I mean, you take so much effort and nobody shows up, you're discouraged. But then after 30 minutes, he hears a few steps of people coming in. And there were six people on that first day. And this was a weekly gathering, supposed to be a weekly gathering. The next week, I think 20 showed up. The week after, 40 showed up. And soon, thousands were flocking. And amazing, amazing revival story. And they decided to pray every day, not every week. Noontime prayer. Businesses were shutting down to come to pray. And this prayer movement grew throughout the nation. Right in San Francisco to the East Coast. Everywhere. Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Dallas, name it. Thousands were gathering for noontime prayer. And uh, the impact, 1 million souls saved within a year and a half in America. And then 1 million recommitting their lives. This was out of the population of 30 million. We need something like that today, you know, at at a 10 times multiple. Yeah, Indeed so.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and let me mention for the benefit of listeners that uh, maybe have tuned in a bit late and said, okay, I'm excited. Uh, how can we be a part of this? Well, uh, it's going to be a gathering taking place August the 31st. It'll be at the site of the original Azusa revival in Los Angeles. Now, some might say, oh, dear, uh, heading down there, we've got some other plans for the weekend. That's okay. You can pause wherever you're at. Anytime during that day, while this gathering will begin at 9 a.m., it will be throughout the day. Yes. So wherever you might happen to be, you know, right, where there are two or more gather together, um, you can be engaged in this time of prayer. This is really beginning to sow the seeds, and as we alluded to a moment ago, it's not a meeting, one and done, and that's it, and we'll see you yeah. next year. This is really uh, the desire is to be a catalyst, to plant the seeds, to begin this. Um, Mm -hmm. as really the first of many, and moving from not a meeting, but into a movement uh, that would bring together committed intercessors that are willing to gather when they can gather, go into their war room or their prayer closet when they can do that, and to be on their face before the throne of grace praying for not just the future of our nation but most importantly that god would send uh, i'm going to call it the third great awakening yes. that god would send revival this event is called redigging the wells of revival and you can get more information online by going to wells of revival.us that's wells of revival.us and as we point out uh, Pastor Rand, while for some folks it might be too late at this juncture to to head down and be in Los Angeles Saturday morning, although who knows? Maybe somebody hearing this says, hey, we've got no plans, so Friday night we're going to head out and we'll see you there Sunday mor- Saturday morning. And again, you can get uh, information about um, location and so forth and registration online at wellsarevival.us. If you can't do that, you're invited to pray wherever you're at. And um, the the real heart's desire here is to begin a movement yes. that would spread like wildfire across the nation, moving into consecrated prayer across the nation in all 50 states at key locations, as you point out, um, that have in times past hosted revivals, great and small, mm-hmm. and um, really be before God that the Lord would begin to Move on the hearts of people that he would send change agents to get the nation headed in the right direction, which of course ultimately is headed towards uh, bowing before the throne of grace and I think this can be an exciting thing and it it's something where for years and years we've done this on an annual basis, and then we kind of go back to our respective corners and we right. report back a year later. Uh, I think what you're suggesting and what history bears out is it can't be a one and done. It really has to be the beginning of a movement that picks up momentum and is dedicated to prayer so that saints are before the throne of grace 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
3: Absolutely. It cannot be just one day of prayer. I think the intent here is to really cast the vision to pray for revival. And and there are many already who are praying. And I think uh, this particular gathering or the conference is bringing together the people who have a heart for revival. And I think when you bring the people together, even Numbers 21 talks about how God instructed Moses to gather the people at the well. And the Lord spoke to me through this verse to confirm. I asked the Lord, confirm this vision. and. God always confirms what he has spoken. And so anyway, the point is uh, we need to have opportunities, grab the opportunities to pray. And we have those opportunities. We have like around five to six hours of uh, intercession through the conference bridge every weekday through the ministry. And I'm happy to say that there are many other groups praying 24 by 7. And um, it's prayer is more prayer is always good i mean we should never think about prayer as well they are praying as well no we need more prayer because god is keeping our prayers in golden bowls in the at the throne of grace you know as an incense and and it's right there in his presence so he values our prayers and he wants to respond to those prayers and we see the situation in the nation And some might ask, why does God not do anything about it? But did we ask him? You know, we have not because we ask not. And we need to know that God is a a righteous God and he gave us, gave man dominion on this earth. Can he do it by himself? Yes. Yes, he can. But he is a person of the word because he gave dominion to man on this earth. And that means we need to pray so that God can move.
1: And the mandate of uh, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen is a yeah. very clear one. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm not going to cite it now. You can go to Scripture, read the passage for yourself and then ask what God would show you in that passage that really be, therefore becomes how this is a mandate on the church. Mm-hmm. So often we say we're here we're waiting on God and I think the reality is the truth of the matter is God is waiting on us. Redigging the wells of revival, the time of fasting and prayer, seeking God to bring transforming revival to our nation. Now, this will be a time of church leaders and intercessors from across the country and state gathering together to pray and fast for our nation this coming Saturday, August the 31st. The gathering will be at the site of the original Azusa revival in Los Angeles, just beginning at 9 a.m. But of course, you can participate in your prayer closet wherever you're at number of the keynote speakers, Pat Chen, well-known to KFAX listeners. Pat, the founder and president of First Love Ministries International. Our own Vanessa Russell, founder of Love Never Fails, will be there as one of the keynoters, along with best-selling author of the God God Chasers book series, Tommy Tenney. Redigging the Wells of Revival this Saturday, August 31st. It's not a meeting, but a movement. Details, and to register, go to wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. And Brother Sarah, will you call us next week? Call into the program. I would love to get a report as to what God did. Mm -hmm. And let's let's really see this as a launching off point, not a one and done, but rather Mm -hmm. a place to start and move forward from.
3: Absolutely. Would be happy to call to give the report. We are going there with a great expectation. uh, And many leaders are coming. Every leader that we have spoken to is excited about what we are doing. And they see why we should do this, and they see that God has led to do this.
1: The Wells of Revival, redigging those wells. Wells of Wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us for more information. Our thanks to Pastor Cyril Rand from the Potter's Ministries for being with us today here on Lifeline. All right. Let's get you updated on traffic. We're way late. You're stuck in traffic. Maybe you're late, too. So (laughs) we'll find out what's going right now from the KFAX Traffic Center.